All right, let's uh, let's open with prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we thank you for the privilege of uh, gathering together today, and uh, Lord, I thank you that you have uh, brought everyone here safely, and uh, we just pray for anyone who is continuing to travel this morning. Um, and God, what a what a privilege it is to to open your Word to. Uh, look and see what uh, we can learn about you, about your great uh, works in history, about your faithfulness to your promises. Um, and uh, God, we just pray that uh, as we uh, as we study your word, that you would uh, just open our hearts, open our minds, uh, allow us to uh, come to a, a truer understanding of the things that are in your word, uh, so that we might. Uh, be blessed by you and be sanctified. And we pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So this morning we're uh, beginning a new study. Uh, we're going to start studying the uh, the life of Christ. Um, so hopefully that will be a good study. So um, I doubt anybody present would object to the idea of studying um the life of Jesus. Um, you know, that's that's kind of just a given um, in a in a church like this that everybody's like, yeah, that's that's a good idea. But um, I still think it's it's worth it's worth taking a moment to uh, to remind you of some of the things that the Bible says about knowing Jesus. Um, even though you know we're kind of like, oh yeah, this this is this is important. We should do this. Let's let's see what uh, what Scripture says. So uh, our Lord Himself said in John 17:3, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And so there, Jesus Himself is is saying that um, knowing God, knowing Jesus. Um, is eternal life. Um, and then the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, Philippians 3, 7 through 11, he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection from the dead." Now, it would be a grave error to limit the biblical concept of knowing Christ to a bare knowledge about Christ. But, conversely, it's impossible to know Christ if you don't know anything about Christ. Um, I think, unfortunately, some people make that mistake. It's like, oh, I just, I just want to know Christ. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to study. Um, but if you're going to know Christ, you have to know about Christ. You have to actually uh, learn about the things that he said and the things that he did. So if you are a follower of Christ, you will delight in coming to a better understanding of who Jesus is. Knowing the mind of Christ involves an understanding of his words and actions. Now, 
to know Christ is to know God. I mean, I think we we here all uh, understand that that Christ is God incarnate. Um, so to know Christ is to know God. Um, this is something that Jesus' disciples uh, needed a little help to uh, to get fully in their minds. Uh, John chapter 15, uh, verses 6 through 10. Um, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and um, I believe it's Thomas he says to. Uh, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known the Father also. From now on, uh, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Uh, Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. So we see there Jesus proclaiming that, You see him, you see the Father. So a study of the life of Jesus, a study of the things that he did, the things that he said, um, will help us to understand the mind of Christ, will help us to understand the mind of God. Um, The Bible tells us that, um, that Christ is the... Um, the full expression of who God the Father is. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, we've we've studied the book of Hebrews here. Um, Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed... Uh, the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So what do we see there? We see that Christ is the exact representation of God, right? That's that's how we see God. Um, we look at the life of Christ and we see how God interacts with his creation. Any questions about that? I mean, that's all kind of like basic Christian theology. I think everybody's probably all on board with all that, but it's so good to just run over it. All clear? Any questions? All right. Well, before we begin our examination of the life of Christ, I think it's important that we address uh, a question that often surrounds these studies. What Jesus are we studying? For some people, that's you know, it's pretty obvious. It's like, oh well, we're studying Jesus. Isn't I mean, isn't that it's only one Jesus, right? Um, but it's very important that we study the right Jesus, right? 
I mean, if we're studying the wrong Jesus, um, that's not going to be very helpful for our Christian walk. Um, there are many people um, throughout the centuries who have suggested that there are options and which one we choose will lead us to different results. Um, one author put it this way, Jesus of Nazareth, the rabbi, the so-called historical Jesus, was an object of no interest for early Christians and is of no interest today for those who have preserved some understanding of what Christian faith means. Have you ever heard any kind of sentiment like that? I see a, a, a nodding head. What, what's, what's going on there? What's the, what's the idea behind that? I mean, that probably sounds pretty foreign to most of us if we just think about our understanding of the Bible. What do you think is going on there? To read the quote again is well, this is just <laughs> cursory thoughts over it, but um, it taking Jesus and especially the well, just if you take Jesus out of the equation of our faith, that brings it much more focused on us and our works. Okay, mm-hmm. it, it, it takes away the sacrifice of what was done for us. Yeah, that is true, that is true. Um, if we don't have that substitutionary sacrifice for us, then we are kind of just left to ourselves to to work our way to heaven. Ben, are you? Uh, I, I think what the quote is getting at is the fact that they believe how Christians interpret Jesus is, is a myth, really. Mm-hmm. It's not a myth of wrong. Like, there was an actual historical person and stuff like that, but he wasn't that interesting of a person. The early Christian church wasn't interested in him. Right. And it wasn't until somehow they developed the myth about him later, and that's how mm-hmm. Christianity yeah. got started. Yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly the the sentiment um, behind that is just the idea that um, that the 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 Jesus or, or the Christ, uh, to use the terminology that that usually comes with this, the Christ of faith, the Christ of Christianity, um, is really a mythological figure. Uh, who was invented uh, by very imaginative people. Um, and what we have in the Bible is just this, this supernatural being that all these legends have sprung up about. Um, and that, that you also have, on the other hand, you have this historical Jesus. You have this real guy that actually lived on earth. Um, and he's not at all like that. He wasn't supernatural. He didn't claim to be God. He didn't, you know, didn't do miracles, all that kind of stuff. Um, and so it's like, well, are we are we studying what the Bible says about about the Christ? Are we are we talking about this legendary um, supernatural being, or are we talking about the person who actually lived in history? So we wind up with like two different directions we could take our study according to this perspective. Um, another author said this uh, the saving knowledge of God is not knowledge and faith in Jesus as a historic person portrayed in the gospels Christ is not to be equated with the historic Jesus Christ is the spirit of the supreme the eternal word the manifestation of this word in history is not limited to Jesus salvation is mediated through the eternal Christ the word of God which is not to be confused with the historical Jesus. 
And then finally, a third person expresses it, the idea saying, um, it is not the historical Jesus, but Jesus Christ, the preached one, who is Lord. Now, these sentiments attempt to divide Jesus, the Jesus of history, from the Christ of faith. Uh, proponents are frequently willing to let uh, the Christ of faith be savior, uh, be a comforter, be an object of faith, and even be divine. Uh, but they insist that the Jesus who walked on this earth was only a man. He may have been a great teacher and said and did many wonderful things, but he was not God, and he had no supernatural powers. Uh, these things, which belonged, uh, which belonged to the Christ of faith, were fabricated by the authors of the New Testament and have nothing to do uh, with the historical Jesus. Uh, but... Such people assure us that these things do not mean that people should abandon the Christian faith. Rather, it should be understood that the object of faith in Christianity is the supernatural Christ, and that it doesn't matter at all if the historical Jesus was a very different person from the Christ of faith. What do we think about that? I mean, that is, to a large degree, the thrust of, I mean, at least a thrust that you will often get when these people are discussing this. It's like, well, don't, don't worry. I'm not, I'm not saying you shouldn't be a Christian, you know, and that you shouldn't have faith in Christ. Uh, you can still have faith in Christ. It's just you need to understand that, like, we're talking about the historical Jesus over here, and that's just a different person. But that doesn't interfere with the supernatural Christ that you have faith in. How should we respond to that? What he said earlier. Yeah, yeah. Mark, Mark did did address that. Can can we flesh that out? Um, uh, either Mark or someone else is because because I mean what you said was true and right, but it's specifically applying it to this type of of uh, well problem, I guess. Yeah. Well, first off, just taking separating the fact that there is a so-called historical Jesus and a scriptural Jesus mm -hmm. uh, takes away from that automatically. It's saying that scripture is not fact, mm -hmm. actually. Mm -hmm. And so that right there is one of the biggest issues there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but maybe it's okay that the scripture's not fact you know maybe it's you know we can just have our faith in our in our fairy tale and it's still gonna like make us happy right <laughs> well there, there there is a point i mean that's sort of where our culture is mm -hmm. now where you can have your own belief mm -hmm. and 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 we don't talk in terms of fact and reality mm -hmm. you know but but the truth of the matter is is if you go against what is truly true there are consequences. Take, for example, gravity. Mm -hmm. If I think gravity doesn't exist, I jump off a tall building, I am going to die. It mm -hmm. doesn't matter what I believe, fact is going to take over. Right. And, and that's the problem with this kind of thing, mm -hmm. is to say, you, you can have this, this mm -hmm. thought, mm -hmm. you know, but the reality is, is that there is fact. So it really matters whether Jesus was truly who he said he was. Right, stuff, so. right, yeah. Um, any other thoughts on that? Or? Okay, I mean, yeah, and going off the fact, if the Bible is really true, then man is really fallen, and man needs a real savior. Mm -hmm. and, and the Bible lays out how he has to be God and man. As he said, we need the substitutionary atonement. Mm -hmm. And if that's not Jesus, then we're, 
know, it's better than that we never lived. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, and you know, and the Bible addresses these things. Um, I mean, if if this perspective that I mean, obviously, the people who are speaking up at least don't agree with. Um, if this is true, um, then uh, we have the option of either studying the Bible as the inspired Word of God and learn about Christ, or we can be scientific historians and try to figure out who the Jesus of history actually was before later generations developed fantastical legends about him. Um, that's you know that's kind of the way that it's it's portrayed by these people, um, but uh, I, and. I know, like, and I'm sure all you guys will agree with this, uh, there was uh, one time many years ago an atheist asked me a question. He said, if if you could go back in time in a time machine um, and, like, you know, check on the events of the Bible and you found out that they weren't actually true, they didn't actually happen in history, would you still believe? Would you still have faith? Would you still be a Christian? And he expected me to answer yes but I answered no like, no it's like if it's not true why would you believe it um, it's very much in line with what you guys are saying If it, I mean if God didn't become a man and come and provide a substitutionary sacrifice for us then I mean that doesn't save us at all and if it's all just uh, just a fantasy then why in the world would we believe it uh, there's no virtue in believing things that are against the facts. Um, oftentimes, faith is uh, misdefined in such a way where, oh, you should believe things that are against the facts. That's what faith is. Um, but that's not the case. Uh, I mean, faith is believing things that you don't necessarily have everything there for. It's, it's a, the idea of trust. It's the idea of, of um, there's a promise that's been given to me and even if I don't have absolute proof that that promise is going to be fulfilled, uh, I know who God is. I know he's faithful to fulfill his promises, and so I will put my faith in him uh, for that. But the idea that faith is uh, believing something that is just contrary to the facts um, is just a completely uh, incorrect definition of faith. Um, Paul addressed... Uh, this issue, I mean, not exactly what we're talking about, but along these lines. Um, in 1 Corinthians 15, um, it's a very well-known passage. Um, 1 Corinthians 15 is the resurrection chapter, um, so Paul spends a lot of time talking about the resurrection. Um, and now in um, verse 12, uh, Paul begins uh, a point here. He says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people 
most to be pitied. So I know we've, we've touched on this already, but what's the consequence if Christ hasn't been raised? It goes right back to what Mark said, right? We're, we're still in our sins. We don't have a Savior if Christ has not been raised. Um, and this isn't just a, you know, if we don't have a story about this mythological Christ being raised from the dead. Um, it's no, unless we actually have a real man who actually died and who actually came back to life, then we're still in our sins. This, this has to correspond to reality, um, or it's nothing. Um, why, what do you think Paul means uh, right there at the end when he says uh, that we are of all people most to be pitied if Christ hasn't been raised? What does that mean? Well, it, I mean, if, if Christ hasn't been raised, then one, we've put our faith in something that is not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, two, we're still dead in our sins. Mm-hmm. And so uh, to the world, it's we would be fools mm-hmm. and still under the consequence of, for our sins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when you think about um, the, the life that, Paul led and many of the early disciples and the the hardships they went through uh, the sacrifices the just the just the giving up of their of their time of their wealth uh, you know all the persecutions everything that they went through for the sake of the resurrected Christ if you're on the outside of that and you're looking at it and you're like and you you know know that like it's all just a fabrication you're like man I feel really sorry for those people. They're just, they're just going through all this for for a fantasy. Um, and Paul understood that. He understood if, if this isn't true, people should look at us and say, wow, man, those poor people. Um, and that's, that's the case today. Um, I mean, I know we live in a a fairly comfortable society in our in our day, where there's uh, only you know very minimal levels of persecution against Christianity, and you know and we we really don't you know have to suffer that much. I mean, obviously we we give of our time, we give of our wealth, we you know we we do go through hardships uh, in this Christian life, um, but you know it's in our society it's that's not as drastic as as it is in other parts of the world and other times in history. But still, um, people really should just look at us and say, "Man, us Christians—they're just—they're just wasting themselves. They—they—they they, they should be enjoying life. You know, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. But you know, they're—they're well, they're doing it the hard way and for no reason." F. F. Bruce um, put it this way: He just in speaking to this idea as a whole, he said to separate the Christ of faith. From the Jesus of history is to make him the product of our faith instead of the ground of our faith, uh, if not indeed to make him a figment of the imagination. Um, I mean, that's really what it does. Um, and so you can say, oh, yeah, we, we can make this separation and you can still have your Christ of faith, and we'll talk about the Jesus of history. Um, but then the Christ of faith is just a figment of our imagination. It's not, he's not a savior. Um, 
Now, this is a this particular expression of this problem is a fairly modern thing um, within the last few hundred years, um, but it's not the first expression of this idea. Um, it actually goes all the way back to the time before the New Testament was even completed. Um, John, in his uh, in his letter, First John, um, chapter four, verses one through three, he said, "Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God." And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Does anybody know what's going on here? What what John is addressing? Would this be not? Okay, yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't sure uh, if anybody would be familiar with that, but yeah, this is um, Gnosticism or proto-Gnosticism. I mean, people have argued that Gnosticism as it existed in the second century didn't really exist uh, this early. It's, I mean, it's hard to say because we don't have a whole lot of uh, writings to, to know, but it's, it's some form of Gnosticism. Now, does anybody know one of the principal tenets of Gnosticism? that relates specifically to what we're talking about here. Just a, just a little quiz to see. Ben? The image that the physical world isn't really real in one sense. Or is it, it doesn't really matter? Okay, now it's, it's not that the physical world isn't real. Um, that would be, I think, more yeah. kind of, uh, I'm trying to think. I, I don't remember. There's, there's, there's other religious perspectives that go... What's that? It's not good. It's not good. Yes, yeah. basically that's the idea, is that um, that the the spiritual realm is good, but the material realm is inherently evil. Um, and, I mean, they have all sorts of weird ideas where basically they say that, like, a good God wouldn't create the physical world, that basically you had to have um, him creating spiritual beings, you know, that... Then created, the, you know, that they themselves created other spiritual beings until you finally get so degraded that you have one that's bad enough that he would make the physical world. Um, and but the Gnostics, the Gnostics still they wanted to attach themselves to Jesus and say that they were followers of Jesus. And so what they had to do was they had to come up with some way to uh, basically make it where Jesus wasn't really. A physical being. Uh, my understanding is different Gnostics did this in different ways. Some of them would have uh, basically the divine Christ coming and inhabiting the the human Jesus, or uh, that some of them would have it where there was no human Jesus. He was just a, a you know basically a vision, uh, but that like you know he wouldn't leave footprints where he walked and things like that. Uh, but they were expressing this idea where they wanted to detach the physical Jesus from the from the Jesus that they worshipped. So, in a sense, it's, it is very similar to what we see in our day. Um, and um, the 
the biblical writers are just very um, strong and thorough in addressing that type of issue and just making it very clear that the Jesus we worship was actually physically here. Um, it's it's actually in a sense amazing how many times they seem to go out of their way to make statements like this. Um, I mean, John, um, obviously we just looked at what he said in First John there. Uh, in, um, in his gospel, in John 1.14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so there he's, he's got the, the word becoming flesh. Um, and then he actually opens First John uh, with uh, this statement, which I think is just a, a beautiful statement uh, along those lines. Uh, he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands. And he's just like, he's just, you know, going all out here and saying, it's like, this isn't, this isn't the story here. We're, you know, we actually saw him uh, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim to you, so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So he's just over and over again. It's like, we've seen him. We've heard him. He was manifest. He was actually here. Uh, and we're witnesses to that fact. Uh, so John is very clear. Um, Peter um, also um, seems to be concerned about uh, this idea that, that you know, it's just following myths. Uh, that there wasn't a real Jesus. Uh, so Second Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 16 through 18, uh, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by uh, the majestic, majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice uh, born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Do you guys remember what, uh, what event Peter is talking about here? Anybody know what he's know what he's referring to? The transfiguration. The transfiguration. Yeah, that's something that occurs in the Gospels. I'm sure we'll we will uh, look at that as we go through and studying the life of Christ. But uh, you have the transfiguration that appears in the Gospels, and Peter is saying he was there. He, you know, this actually happened. They they are witnesses to what actually happened. They're not following this. <laughs> Um, and even if you just like look at the way that uh, that Luke uh, introduces uh, his gospel, um, just starting in verse one of Luke one, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. Uh, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have uh, certainty concerning the things that have been taught, uh, that you have been taught. 
So, I mean, does that sound like Luke is presenting um, a mystical story about a supernatural character? It doesn't. Why not? I mean, what what in that text indicates that that he's talking about something real in history? Just for the record, supernatural doesn't necessarily mean it's not real. I'm sorry, say that again? Just for the record, supernatural doesn't necessarily mean it's not real. Right. There were some supernatural things going on. Here. Yes, yes. But, uh, but yeah, the eyewitnesses, for mm-hmm. one, um, and uh, writing an orderly account. Yeah, yeah, so he's looking at eyewitnesses to, to make a, an orderly account. Yeah. And, and you are correct. Um, supernatural isn't, doesn't necessarily mean not real. So I didn't, I didn't intend to imply that. So. Um, hey, Chris. Yes. I, the, other, the thing that's been going through my mind mm-hmm. is you've been talking about Christ being physical and all that. Was mm-hmm. even in, It's funny because it's in Luke's Gospel, mm-hmm. the 24th chapter, where when Jesus appears to the disciples, mm-hmm. he's like, hey, touch me. Mm-hmm. You know, he goes, does a ghost have flesh and bones? Right. You know. And yeah. stuff, and so there's there's a sense in which he even you know addresses that directly, mm-hmm. you know, as he's talking to these eyewitnesses. These are people who have seen and touched him. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're absolutely right. I mean, Jesus went out of his way to show them that he wasn't just you know a, a ghost, an apparition, whatever. Um, that he was actually physically there, and he's yeah. He said, "Yeah, touch me," um, and he would you know eat food with them and you know things like that and. So he just went out of his way to show them, yes, I truly have risen from the dead. I'm really alive again. So, yeah. Um, I remember um, hearing someone relate uh, that a skeptic had said, um, I can affirm everything in the Apostles' Creed except the phrase, crucified under Pontius Pilate. Does that make any sense? I mean, I know exactly what, what's being got out there, but do you, do you know why? Any thoughts? Because Pontius Pilate was a real person in history? Yeah, because Pontius Pilate was a real person in history. Yeah, it was it was this this very thing. It was like, oh yeah, I can I can say all sorts of things about, you know, you know, Jesus being the Son of God and you know, being resurrected, and is like as long as I can keep all this stuff in some kind of ethereal realm where it doesn't touch historical reality. But I can't say, you know, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate because then that means it actually happened in history. Um, I thought I always thought that was interesting. I don't know who said it. Um, I, I heard it from a, you know, from a from a Lutheran. Uh, teacher, and uh, but it just always kind of stuck with me. It's like a really, um, really pronounced way to, to point out the you know this attitude. Um, so if we accept the premise uh, that the Christ of the New Testament isn't the same as the Jesus of history, um, I, that's really gonna just gut Christianity of everything that's true. Um, So, yeah, I mean, the, it, would, it would be salvation in Christ would only exist in our minds. Um, and we would, as Paul said, we would still be in our sins. Um, think about what we learned uh, when we went through the book of Hebrews. I know that you know, Pastor Rick uh, covered this stuff as we went through, but um, 
when you look at Hebrews chapter 2, uh, verses 14 through 18. There the author says, uh, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. So there we see, again, what we're talking about here is like he had to become flesh to provide salvation. Um, and deliver all those who through fear of death uh, were subject to, to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So what, what other idea do we do we find here other than, um, you know, just like what well, he had to, he had to have been a historical person to save us from our sins. What, what other idea do we lose if we make um, the, the object of our faith a, a fantasy? And we've got this idea here of him... Uh, being able to um, to be merciful, to to understand, he's able to to help those who are being tempted because he himself was tempted. If we take Jesus out of history and say he he's just the supernatural person that we're that we're trusting in, well then he didn't he didn't go through uh, the trials of an earthly life and face the temptations that we do. Um, and he can't, he can't sympathize with us if he's, you know, I mean, obviously if he's a figment of our imagination, but I mean, even if he, even if he's like a, a real spiritual being who has no connection to history, um, and he just, he can't, he can't sympathize with us. Um, similar idea in Hebrews chapter four, verses 14 through 16. Uh, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help uh, in time of need. So... Um, I mean, it's just, it just guts Christianity of, I mean, it's heart and so much of the periphery as well. Uh, if we uh, take an approach where Jesus, um, where the, the Jesus where we, that we are placing our faith in is not the historical Jesus. So I think it's very important as we uh, approach this study that it very much be in our minds that we're talking about a historical person. That we're that that we can't separate uh, the object of our faith from this historical character we're studying. Um, I think that's just a grave mistake. I don't think it's terribly likely that um, you know that's a real problem here in this particular congregation, um, but. Uh, I mean, people go to church for all sorts of reasons, um, and many people go to church, but they don't really believe all that the Bible says about who Jesus is and what he did. Uh, but there's no hope in that type of Christianity. 
So as we study uh, the life of Christ, uh, we are not studying an interesting character in a well-crafted novel. Um, We're not considering the teachings of a bygone philosopher. We're studying the life of God incarnate and that played out on the stage of real history uh, and has eternal consequences for you and for me. I mean, that's something that we, we need to keep in mind. Um, I, again, I, I'm not sure that that's like necessarily a real problem here, but you know, I mean, I don't know where everybody's at in their own thinking. And it's something that we should all uh, really consider. Um, it's important that we understand that we're, we're talking about reality. Um, and there are, uh, there are great consequences. So, um, yes. Well, Chris, I, I think it is way more, I think it's very important. And, uh-huh. and part of that is, is I've, I've heard of a number of young people who have grown up in the church mm-hmm. and they go off to school and their professor begins to espouse these things, you know, about right. Christ being some figurative, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then to hear these same Christian kids, or they're young adults by then, who say, yeah, what does it matter? You know, and that they really don't understand that connection. Or even yeah. as adults, we can get in these conversations at work or with friends or whatever. I mean, that, that idea is out there, mm-hmm. you know. And so, you know, while we may not believe that, uh-huh. you know, we may unconsciously, you know, just sort of accept that and think, mm-hmm. well, what's the big difference? And right. it's really, I've, I've appreciated you taking the time to sort of explain that mm-hmm. and explain, I mean, this is the, the foundation of our faith. Mm-hmm. If we don't believe the truth, I mean, it's a it's the difference between truth and error. It's not just a difference of opinion mm-hmm. or views or ways of seeing things. So, yeah, it, it's very crucial. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that definitely can be the case. You know, somebody can be raised in the church and they, you know, and they hear all these things about it's like, okay, here's, you know, here's the way we should behave. You know, we should worship God. We should, you know, do these things and not do these things. And, you know, here's, you know, a list of things we ought to, you know, believe and stuff like that, you know, but not necessarily, you know, see it connected to reality. And I know one thing that, that often troubles me uh, when I encounter it is sometimes I've seen it where there are people who begin to have questions now, oftentimes there's all sorts of issues wrapped up, and maybe that you know they're wanting to pursue some kind of sin, and so they're looking for an excuse to get out of Christianity. But um, you know, whatever whatever other motivations are happening, uh, these people are in the context of a church, and they begin to have questions, and they start asking questions of of leaders, of teachers, and saying, well, you know how. What about these objections? You know, is is this all really true? Uh, you know, aren't there contradictions in the Bible? Doesn't history disprove Christianity? And you know, and they start asking these questions, and very frequently the response that they get is is like, oh, don't worry about those things. Just have faith. Um, and it very much is basically just like opens the door for this type of attitude where. You're saying, hey, we can just we can just believe this stuff, even if it has no connection to history. And, of course, then those people will look at it and say, oh, well, if it has no connection to history, I don't see any reason why I should believe it. And they just, you know, go on their merry way and do whatever they wanted to do. Um, and I, I'm firmly of the opinion that, like, when we encounter that type of thing, 
we need to make sure that we do everything we can to provide answers for people so that if they still choose to walk away and pursue whatever it is that they're, you know, whatever sin they're, they're enthralled by, um, that they don't have the excuse of saying, oh, well, they told me that it's all just, you know, basically a figment of my imagination that I can believe if I want, but that it's disconnected from reality. Um, the reality is all of this is connected to reality. Jesus actually lived and walked on this earth and he was God incarnate. And everything that he said and did all has consequences for us. And one day we're all going to be face to face with God. And we're going to have to answer for what we did with the information that we had. Um, and it's not going to fly to say, well, I just, I just didn't believe that any of it was true. Um, and so, anyway, I, I mean, it's, it's. I think I want to encourage us to, to like really consider the truthfulness of this, and I also want us to consider um, if we are encountering people who are are raising questions that we not at all back down from the truthfulness of this, and say yes, we do have to answer questions about history, about archaeology, about supposed contradictions in the Bible. And we, we're not allowed to just um, push it off and say, oh, well, you just got to have faith, that we actually do have to defend these things. Um, and, um, you know, obviously as Reformed Christians, we believe that it's the Holy Spirit who changes the heart. Um, but we don't want to give the unbeliever the excuse of saying, well, they just couldn't answer my questions. Um, we want to leave them in the position where it's like, okay, yeah, they answered my questions, but I still chose to walk away. Um, so that's, that's kind of my perspective on that. So any other thoughts or questions? Well, hopefully um, this will be a beneficial study for us as we um, just try to walk through the life of Christ um, just try to get a, a clear picture. I, I know like many of the things that we're going to be studying are things that many people grew up in church going to Sunday school and they hear all these stories um, you know the you know the birth of Christ we you know we get that you know every every Christmas you know where we go over the details of that and uh, obviously the resurrection you know that gets discussed especially around Easter time and um, you know, and we and we you know we hear the parables, we hear the stories about the things Jesus did, but um, oftentimes they're not necessarily like connected and put into kind of a, a larger framework. So um, hopefully this this study will help kind of maybe solidify some things and connect them a little bit more. Um, I know just like in my in my own preparation for this, it's it's helped to do that for me. So I'm hoping it will do that for um, for all of you. Um, so just in closing, um, I want to read from Acts chapter 10, um, where uh, Peter basically just does um, a study of the life of Christ in just a handful of verses. Um, just just a nice little overview that he presents. Um, as he's speaking to the household of Cornelius. So Acts chapter 10, verses 36 through 43. 
Uh, as for the word uh, that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism of John, uh, uh, after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. Then he put him to death by hanging him, or they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, uh, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witness, and everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So that, in a nutshell, is what we're going to be studying, uh, the life of Christ. Um, and it does all culminate in the question of how will we respond to who Jesus is and what he did. Um, as Peter says, um, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And he's the one that God appointed to be the judge of the living and the dead. So it's definitely very weighty matters. Um, and Again, I don't think it's going to be new material to most of you, but um, even for those who know the story well, um, they love to hear the, the old, old story. So hopefully it will be a fruitful study. Any final comments or questions? All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for your great work in history. Uh, God, we praise you that in in the, in the person of the, the Son, uh, you came to earth and you lived the life that we could not live. And you suffered and died the death that we deserve. Um, and Jesus, you rose again. You conquered death. And you hold out the offer of forgiveness for those who put their faith in you. And Lord, we are just so grateful that you have done this for us, that you have uh, called us to yourself, that you have put that faith within us. And God, I just pray that our, uh, our love for you would continue to grow as we uh, learn more and more about uh, what you have done, how you have saved us, though we are so unworthy and uh, God just that you would continue to work in us uh, to make us uh, a people worthy of the calling with which you have called us we pray in Christ's name Amen <clears throat>